if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and Sarah is going to come and read our text for us this morning. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. For to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given freely, he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, for the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made good to us, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put to effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Well, it is uh, so good to be together this morning and to worship. And part of our worship um, is, you know, sharing life with each other as we've done already this morning, the joys, the struggles, um, and, and then bringing all of ourselves uh, into the presence of God to, to worship as we've been able to do, like just declaring good and true and beautiful things about God through the songs uh, that we sang this morning, and now to just like turn our attention to the, to the scriptures. And we're, we're circling back to the book of Ephesians. It's going to be kind of our fall uh, series, just kind of moving slowly through this, this amazing, uh, amazing letter in the New Testament. Uh, before we get uh, too deep into that, it's October 1st. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Everybody doing good with October October 1. Yeah, it's a little, little crazy. It's the, October smells like pumpkin spice. I don't know. You can go into Hobby Lobby or, you know, one of the stores and you smell pumpkin spice. And so if October, November, like this season had a smell or, or a taste maybe for you, it's uh, pumpkin spice, possibly. If it had, if it had a look, it's got to be camouflage, doesn't it? It's like it's hunting season, right? So... I don't know how many of you, anybody like into deer hunting, like spending time in the woods? I don't know who I'm talking, okay, okay, a couple people, very good. So uh, it is October 1st, and um, yeah, life, life keeps moving, moving forward. It is uh, this, this journey, and yet, like as, uh, as Reuben reminded us, you know, God's mercy, his presence is new to us every day. Like today, God's presence is just drawing close to us, and we get this chance to open our hearts uh, to him. And so we're coming back to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1 here in this series called Flourishing in Life with God. And, um, and I love those four questions you asked, Ruben, are we, from Tim Keller, are we sailing, are we rowing, are we drifting, right, was that it, or are we sinking? 
And uh, the, the vision, I think, of Ephesians and the vision of this series of flourishing in life with God is the call is, is to sail, right? Is like the wind of God, the wind of God's spirit at our backs and, and moving us forward. That's what God wants for us. Now, there are going to be some seasons in our life where it doesn't feel like we're flourishing, where it feels like we're, we're rowing hard or maybe we're just drifting and holding still or maybe it feels like we're sinking. But God's vision for us is is to flourish in his presence, is to experience the fullness of his presence in our life. And so a couple of weeks ago, um, we, we began this by saying our, our flourishing doesn't actually begin with us. It begins with a clear view of God. So two weeks ago, that's what we talked about. Like, what is God like? That's a big question. In fact, it's the most important question about us. You remember saying that? The thing you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you because everything else in your life will conform to that. And so the question, what is God like? The answer is, do you remember from two weeks ago? It's Jesus. You remember the kid in Sunday school who, um, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, Michelle, the kid in Sunday school who the teacher asked him, okay, what is uh, brown and furry, climbs trees, and likes nuts? And the kid said, Jesus. I know it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus because it's church, right? The answer is Jesus. What is God like? What is God like? Um, Again and again and again, the Bible tells us God is like Jesus. He looks like Jesus. God has always looked like Jesus. Now, we haven't always known this. We haven't always understood that as human beings, but thank God he's revealed it to us. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 and, and 19 and 20 says this, the Son, who's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What is God like? He's like Jesus. Hebrews 1, verse 3, the Son, who is Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his very being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The greatest thing you can do in your life is get to know Jesus. Like, for real. It's the greatest way you could spend your time. Um, It will transform you more than any other practice in your life, is just get to know Jesus. How well are you, like, just exploring the goodness of God revealed in the person of Jesus of Nazareth? You have this treasure that is worth more than, than anything else you can imagine. I mean, for real, it's, it's worth more than, than any bank account or any investment account, uh, and you have numerous ones, but um, these treasures, but one of the, the treasures I think we often overlook is these accounts in our New Testament called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, right? Because we get to experience Jesus as he is revealed to us. Um, as God has chosen to reveal himself to us, and as his followers recorded the, 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 the stories, the accounts of who Jesus actually is. And so like, I just want to encourage you, would you press in to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? On Wednesday mornings here at 10 o'clock, we started uh, a little Bible study on Wednesday mornings. It just kind of came out of... Um, it came out of, uh, you know, folks who are, who are here, who we kind of work together uh, throughout the week, asking, like, could we do a Bible study? So, hey, Wednesday mornings at 10 o'clock, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. If you want to join, is that cool if they join? Is it? All right, all right, good. Kathy said it's okay, so it's okay with me. So, um, but, like, Jesus will never cease to amaze you. 
right? And so we have this, this amazing treasure. What is God like? God is like Jesus. Um, and so that's the first question. Our flourishing begins with a true view of God. But the second question is the one we're going to talk about today. And that's, man, it's a big one. Who are you? Who are you? If we know what God is like, God looks like Jesus, who are you? And how would you answer that question? Like if, if we met, if we're meeting today, um, some, some of you maybe I don't know, and I'm meeting you for the first time, and I say, so who are you? How would you respond to that? Take, just take a, five seconds and compose your response in your head. And then I'll put the mic in your face. No, I won't actually do that. What would you say? Um, so, so first of all, most of us would probably say, well, my name is, right, I am the name that was given to me. And that's true. Like, my name, Eric Miller. I introduced myself to a person at a wedding one time. I said, hi, I'm Eric Miller. And she said, oh, how common. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, like, the name that we've been given, it's how the world knows us. It's how we interact with it. And, and it's true. Like, that's it's kind of who we are. So maybe we would start with I am, my name, the name given to me. What else would you say? I'm guessing you would say something maybe about what you do. Well, who am I? Uh, well, I'm a student, I'm a parent, I'm, I'm a pastor or a plumber or a homemaker. You would do something about your occupation, like what you spend your time doing, or maybe you're retired, and so you would say, well, I am, I'm retired. You would identify by what you do. Are you with me? Would you do this? I, like, is this the place you went in your head when you started thinking about it? Um, so our name that we've been given, what we do, something about how we spend our time that way. Another category that we might get into is what we have. I am what I have. Um, for some of us, it's not physical possessions. It's like our family connections. I am a son of Ivan and Fran Miller. How common, right? <laughs> especially if you're in Holmes County. It's, it's the weirdest thing in the world. Uh, we spent, Carmen and I spent 17 years of our life in Kansas, and nobody knew our families. Like, nobody, people would ask, because there were Millers there, and they'd be like, are you related to? No, I'm not. I don't, I'm not related to anybody in Reno County, Kansas, where we spent, you know, almost 17 years of our life. Um, and so people just knew us. Like, they got to know us through, you know, time and relationships and built trust and all of that. And now we come back and, and we were like in Ohio, like for a couple of days. And I would like walk around a place. My parents aren't even around. And they'd be like, wait a second, are you Ivan and Fran's son? It's like, this is the weirdest thing in the world, right? And our kids are like, wait a second, you're Roy and Ruth Steiner's grandkids. And like, you know, when they're, when they're in their school and stuff. And it is the most bizarre thing in the world to be known by what we have. And what we have is like this name, right? It's a, it's a legacy. It's a reputation. And that can be really good or it can be really bad. And I'm, I'm very thankful that like both of our, our parents, our sets of parents have given us a, a good name. And so maybe I'm identified by by my name. I'm a son or a daughter of these people. Maybe that's what you would, you would do. Or, or I am my body. I am my physical appearance. Lots of us feel that way. Um, and, and maybe we're really happy about that, right? Like, I feel like, wow, I look pretty good. And I'm guessing many of us are not. Like, four out of five people um, would say, I'm ashamed of my body. I'm ashamed of the way I look. Four out of five people are walking around thinking, I wish I looked like somebody else. But 
like that's maybe how we identify. Like I am what I have. I have this appearance, this, this body, or maybe it is physical stuff. Maybe it's resources. Uh, I am, I'm wealthy or I'm not. I'm, I'm poor. How, however you would describe yourself. I am what I do. I am what I have. And the last one, maybe a category we would use to describe who I am is I am what people say about me. I'm what people say about me. Um, I am my reputation, whether good or bad. I am as good as my last post on social media. How many likes did it get? Right? I, I spent all day composing a perfect Instagram. I didn't really. I'm not even on Instagram. Um, but, you know, this is reality. And then we can only be, if nobody liked the thing that we put out there to all of those people, man, we feel... We feel worth less. But if people respond to it, and if like, we get affirmation from it, well, then we feel like we're worth more. I am what people say about me. So how are we doing? These are probably the primary ways that we would try to identify ourselves. Does this make sense? But all of these, what my name, what I am, um, what I do, what I have, what people say about me, they are all... If you're going to build an identity, an identity that is strong and secure and is going to like give you a foundation to live from through all the storms of life, all of these are incomplete and insufficient for that. You cannot build a strong, secure identity on, on what you have, on what you do, or on what people say about you because they will crumble underneath you. Because what happens when you're doing this thing, and you're good at it, and you get a lot of life from it, but all of a sudden you can't do it anymore, right? You, like all of our time will come when the thing that we do, that we love to do, when we can't do it anymore. Maybe that time has already come for us, and it's difficult, right? It's, it can be hard to release it because our identity is connected with what we do. Um, what happens when we don't have the things that we had any longer. I mean, everything we have, every material thing, and even every relationship will sort of slip through our fingers. We can't hold on to it. Um, there's this kind of depressing little scripture in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 15. It, it's depressing on one level. It's freeing on another. It says this, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. And as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil they can carry in their hands. Do you find that depressing or liberating? Right, naked we came from our mother's womb, and we're going we're gonna to depart the same way, and there is nothing material that we will carry in our hands. It will all be stripped away from us someday. What are we going to do in our bodies, like age, when, when the way we look is different? When I moved back to Ohio, maybe I told you this story, I... I went to get my Ohio driver's license, and the lady at the DMV, she's like, oh, you used to have an Ohio driver's license. I was like, yeah, I was like 21. She's like, oh, you had hair. Like, yes, I did. Yes. She's like, what happened to it? Did it all blow off in Kansas? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, lady. And my identity was crushed. One of my, my favorite bands, the Avery Brothers, they say it this way. Um, get the young scientist. Tell him, come quick. I must be the first man that's ever seen this. Lines on my face. My teeth are not white. My eyes uh, do not work, and my legs don't move right. Anybody, like, want to say amen to that? It's like, this is how I feel in the mornings. So what happens? What happens when these things happen? And what happens when people say things that tear us down? 
When our identity is in what, we, what people say about us, but they say things that are, that are like, they tear us down. If we, will, if we rise on the praise of people, then we will fall on their criticism. Right? I mean, if we rise on the affirmation of others, we will fall. It will be so painful with their criticism. Or what happens if they don't say anything about us at all? Like, what if we're just completely insignificant to the watching world? If nobody cares? Like, maybe that's almost harder to accept. If there's a silence or indifference. Now, here's a thought experiment. 20 years after I die, who's going to remember me? Probably not many people. Very, very few people. Like, maybe my children, maybe if I have grandchildren. How are we doing? Is this too heavy for the morning? It's like October. It's like, man, it's fall and talking about death and dying. I mean, that's the reality, right? I mean, there are many people who are going to remember me 20 years after I'm gone. And I have the idea of a legacy. I'm going to leave a legacy. That's just, that's wonderful. And hopefully to the people like I spent a lot of my life with, hopefully my life mattered to them and shaped them. But I'm fooling myself if I think I'm going to make a, a giant difference, you know, on in, into the future, at least in terms of people remembering me. So, we have this deep desire. Every single one of us has a deep desire to be significant. Are you with me? I mean, you were created with it. God put that stamp on your soul to say, like, you were made for something. You were made to be significant. And the fact that we have that is a sign of, like, our creator's intention in our life that our identity is so incredibly important. And so we have to understand, like, what is the foundation for this question of who I am? Who are you? Where does it come from, your identity, and how does God invite you to answer that question? If you, if you were going to ask God, like, right, God, how do you want me to be defined? How do you, like, define me and want me to answer this question of who I am? And, and so look again at Ephesians, uh, two slides here, at, at Ephesians chapter 1 verses, um, this is verse 1 to 14. This is what Sarah read uh, for us this morning. Now, that's the whole thing. So I don't expect you to be able to read that, really, from, from your seat. And that's okay. But I think the answer to who you are and your identity is, is, like, right here in this text and so many other places throughout the Scriptures. We don't have to guess about it. Now, for those of you who are maybe sitting close and you can see the words in yellow, again and again and again, it says this. It says, in Christ Jesus, in Christ, in him, in love, through Christ Jesus, in the one he loves, in him, in Christ, in him, in Christ, in Christ, in him. If I was going to ask you who you are and how God invites you to answer that question, the answer would be, I am in Christ. I am in him. I belong to him, that God wants our identity to be in Christ. Over 170 times in the New Testament, I didn't count, somebody else counted for me, I'm just using their notes. Over 170 times in the New Testament, this is the call, like you are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 1 says, like, when we first came to Christ, we were just infants in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... They are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is true if you're in Christ. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14 says, the dead who are in Christ will rise on that day when Christ returns. 
right? Like all of these promises are true for the person who is in Christ, whose identity is found in him. And so, like, maybe this big question we can ask is, like, am I in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? And, and some of that is, is spelled out right here in this text in, in Ephesians 1 as well. It's like, I mean, the reality is that we are all born into this world. We come, naked, we come into this world. And we're born into this world with a nature, a sinful nature that needs to be redeemed. I mean, every one of us, right, we feel it. We feel this prone to wander from our creator. Lord, we, we feel it. We have this nature inside of us that is sinful and rebellious, and it needs to be redeemed, and it needs to be forgiven. And we are powerless to save ourselves, right, to fix ourselves, to put our life back together. We need grace from elsewhere. We need a power from outside of ourselves to reach toward us and to save us from our sin. Are you with me? Like every one of us, this is just true of every single one of us. And that is exactly what God has done for us in Jesus. Like, right? He was the power, the grace that came from elsewhere. And he, he reached toward us in love to rescue us. And, and ultimately, Jesus did this by his life that was given away for us, that his blood that was shed for us, his body that was broken for us. And it's through Jesus' death that we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. And so the promise is that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we receive the grace that we could never earn, that we don't deserve, but we just receive it because of God's grace that he gives freely to us in Jesus, in that moment, our hearts open up to Jesus. In that moment, we are moved from being in our sinful nature to being in Christ. It, it, it's like the greatest miracle that anyone could ever experience, to be moved from being in sin to being in Christ. And it happens the moment, the moment we surrender our lives to Jesus. So, in Christ, are you in Christ? Like, is this your identity? Have you made, like, that recognition that you, you can't save yourself? Like, you can't row hard enough. You need someone to come and to bring wind into your sails. Like, this is is the good news. Have you received grace? And so um, that question, that question has serious and eternal consequences, right? Are you, are you in Christ? And so, um, for those then who have made that, like, who have received God's grace and who are in Christ, all of these things then become true about us. Now, most of the time, I'm guessing, if you grew up around church, you didn't talk about, like, what happens when you put your faith in Jesus in this way as much as you talked about Christ being in you. Like, right? We talk a lot as a church about, well, it's Christ that comes to live in me. Uh, when I was a kid, that's how I understood, like, salvation is, like, I open up my heart to Christ, and Christ, like, comes to live inside of me. And I always wondered, like, how... Where is he? He's like in there, right? And, and it's true. Like there's, there's power in that. And there's so much truth in that, that Christ comes to dwell inside of us. But more times than not, that's not the way the New Testament talks about it, right? That it's not just that Jesus comes to live inside of us. It's that we, our identity now becomes in Christ. So um, could I use, I, I didn't even think through this. Can I switch this out? Is this one on? I need both hands for this. There we go. I'll just use it for a second. 
So for, for many of us, like we, we think about Christ dwelling inside of us, which is absolutely true, right? It's absolutely true. Thanks, Taylor. And then um, we... He keeps doing that. Can I do that? Oh, there we go. Okay, so an example. How do we... It's not my first rodeo. Um, so how, how do we think about this? Like the idea of being Christ in us or us in Christ. Can you guys see over there? There we go. Okay, so most of the time what we think about is, okay, let's say the sponge is you, right? It's you and me. It's, it's who we are. And the idea, the, the water represents Jesus, Jesus' presence. And so the way we often think about it, I'm going to try to not make it. Morgan, you want to help me out for a second here? You want to hold the bucket? Just, just hold the bucket under so I don't drip all over the floor. There we go. So the way we, just right here. So the way we normally think about it is the presence of Christ coming to be in us. Right? And so Jesus, like, comes to live inside of us, makes his home in us, and fills us with his presence. Is this true? I mean, does the Bible talk about this? Yes, like Christ in us is the hope of glory. But do you know what happens to me sometimes? It's like the circumstances of life, they kind of ring me out. Anybody else get wrung out sometimes? Right? And, and so sometimes the circumstances of life, like, they ring us out. And so what we need to keep doing is like, well, okay, I just need... I need to pour more Jesus into myself, and then, like, right, the circumstances of life. I was going to say we leak, but uh, that didn't sound quite right. Um, it's true, but it didn't sound quite right. Um, so this is, this is the idea of Christ in us, if this is the only way we think about it. But do you know what's the, the promise of Ephesians 1 is that you, when you surrender your life to Jesus, are in Christ. That's all good. Yeah. Yep, thank you. Is that you are in Christ. You are, like, identified in him. Now, here's the question. Here's the question. Is the water in the sponge? Yes. But what's more true? The sponge is in the water. Is Christ in you? Yes. But you know what's more true? Is you are in Christ. This is, like, this is your identity. You are in Christ. And if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you received his life, his love, this is where you live. Now, what's amazing is that whatever happens to this picture now happens to the sponge, right? Because you're identified in him. And so the Bible says crazy things about what's true of you today. Like, you are seated with him in Christ in the heavenly realms. Like, you are in Christ today. And you can try to ring this thing out, right? And what's going to happen? It doesn't work, right? Because, because the sponge is in Christ. How are we doing? Does it make sense? This is where you live. This, this is what is true of every one of us who have said yes to Jesus. You are in Christ. And this mystery, this power, if we, if we accept it, it will change. It will change everything. Um, so, I just want to real quickly just touch on what is, uh, we're going to skip a couple of those things, of what is 
true of you that are in Christ. And this is all from Ephesians 1. Take a look at it, read it, write these things down, take notes on it because your identity depends on it. Who are you? You are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, these things are true about you. You are faithful. Paul starts this and he says, I'm writing to the faithful who are in Christ Jesus. Well, I don't feel faithful. Well, does it matter how you feel? The sponge might not feel, right, like, like this is true, but it is true. It's, it's reality. You are in Christ, and because you are in Christ, you are faithful because it's not your faithfulness that made you faithful. It was Jesus' faithfulness. And what's true of Jesus becomes true of you. You are faithful in Christ Jesus. And even when we are faithless and when we fail, the promise is he remains faithful because we belong to him and we are in him. Because you are in Christ, you are blessed. Like today, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. That's what, that's what verse, uh, verse 3 says. You have every spiritual blessing. There is not a blessing in the heavenly realms that you don't have because you, every spiritual blessing in Christ is given to you in the heavenly realms. Like, you can spend the rest of your life thinking about that. Of like, what does that mean that Christ has given me these spiritual blessings? That this, this, great, um, this great line uh, is made popular uh, through, through a song, but it's actually in the New Testament as well. It says, all things are mine since I am his. We belong to him, and like he's just given us the blessings of belonging to him. In, because I am in him, I am chosen. That Jesus looks at you, and he looks at you just like he looks at every other disciple that he called, and he says, come follow me. I choose you. Like, would you, would you come follow me? I'm, go, I'm going to teach you how to be my disciple. Uh, because you are in Christ, you are holy and blameless. Now, this one, like, it's tough to, like, accept this for me. Because I don't feel holy and blameless. Right? I, I played the scripts back in my mind of all the ways I fail, of all the ways I blow it, of all the things that I've done that it's like, wow, oh, like, really, like, God can probably forgive other people, but I'm not sure that he could ever forgive me fully. Are you with me? Like so many of us, we just live with that script. And the truth is, you are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, you are holy and blameless that my sin has been taken away in Jesus' name. That Jesus has taken all of the blame and all of the condemnation and all of the shame. And he makes us holy and blameless in his sight, the text says. So, so even though we don't feel this way, the, the, the trick, I say trick, it's not a trick, the the. Our work, our work in this is to align like our experience, like what I think about with the truth of what God says. And God looks at us and he says, you are holy and blameless because you are in Christ. Um, you are redeemed and forgiven, verse 7. You are redeemed that Christ has told you exactly what you are worth because he gave his life to redeem you. He gave his life to buy you back. That he, the price he paid for you could not have been any higher. It was the price of God in the flesh, his own body being broken, his own blood being poured out, the cost that he paid to redeem us and to redeem all humanity. It could not have been higher. We are redeemed and forgiven. Verse 13, because we are in Christ, we are included. That lots of us know what it feels like to be excluded. Um, but in Christ, we are included in, in God's family. Verse 13, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? It is the, the, the presence of Jesus is in the sponge because the sponge is in Christ. Um, it was the Holy Spirit that empowered the life of Jesus. Um, and Jesus' life, because we're in him, 
like this is where we live and move and have our being. It's not just, we, we don't just read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to learn about who Jesus was. We read the Gospels to experience who Jesus is and who we are today because this is our reality. Like the spirit that, that was w- within Jesus and guiding Jesus is also with us and within us. And so we have this promise that, that we have the presence of God within us, the Holy Spirit. And lastly, verse 14, because I am in Christ, I am an heir. Like I'm set to inherit eternity in the kingdom of God, a renewed world, God's mended world. In Christ, we've been given this promise, and the Holy Spirit is like a, a, a deposit, it says, that guarantees that you are going to inherit the world to come, that you are going to reign with Christ someday forever, for all eternity in a new creation. How are you feeling? Do you feel like these things are true? I mean, most of the time we don't, right? I mean, this isn't our experience. Like, we don't, we don't, this isn't like the place we operate from. But do you know what changes when it is? Everything. Like, this is the only way we change the world. How, and Belinda, if I can use your story as an example. How does somebody who is, who is hit by a drunk driver, who, is, who has every right to expect the maximum penalty of the law, who, um, who, like, who everybody in that courtroom that day was expecting her to show up and say, throw the book at this kid, right? And do you know what she did? She said, I, I, he needs grace. He needs grace. And I, I don't want him to go to prison. I want him to experience grace. How does a person do that? It's because that person is in Christ. Because their identity is in Christ. And then you might not always feel like that, Belinda, right? Like many of us don't. But it's true. And that is how God changes the world through us. It's more and more we align what is our experience and what we, what we think about and how we live in this world with the truth that God says about us that our identity is in Christ. So who are you? Who are you? You're not just your name. You're not what you do. You're not what you have. You're not what people say about you. You are in Christ Jesus. And all of these things are true about you because of this. So, um, man, this is so powerful if we can, if we can lock this into to our minds. So here, I want to give a couple of practical ways that we can live into this. That because we need help. Our brains need evangelized. Like we need, our brains need good news. We, we need to constantly remind ourselves of the good news that is true of us in Christ. And so I'll write these things down. If you want, I don't know if you take notes or not, but you write these things down of Ephesians 1, of all the promises that are true of us in Christ. Um, and I can email them to you, send them to you so you have them. Write them down and pray them every morning. Like, just remind yourself. Wake up in the morning and, and memorize them. And before you even get out of bed, remind yourself, like, God, thank you that I am in you because of your grace for me. And because I am in you, I am redeemed and forgiven and holy and blameless. And I'm accepted and included. And I'm an heir of your kingdom. And I'm filled with your Holy Spirit. Like, how would your life change if you lived in this reality? Right? Like, when the, when the world tries to ring you out, that it was like, no, no, no. My identity is in, is in Christ. Pray these things. The evil one will attack your identity. 
There is nothing more strategic to the evil one than attacking your identity. It's exactly what he did to Jesus. You remember Jesus? He was baptized. He goes down in the water. He comes out, and it's like the heavens open, and he hears the voice of the Father speak affirmation over him. The Father says, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. I mean, that is identity, right? That's who he is. I'm a child of, of my Father. And then the very next line, he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he is tempted by the evil one. And what does the evil one tempt him with? If you are the Son of God. Do you hear that? The evil one attacks Jesus at his identity, and he's going to do the same thing to us. Oh, if you are in Christ. I mean, those attacks, they come. They come in a hundred different ways, and we have to constantly remind ourselves that this is true because this is what God says is true about us. So one, write these things down, pray them, meditate on them, keep them in your mind, fill your mind with them, evangelize your mind. Secondly, have people around you that remind you of these things. Like what if we had like a LifeBridge text thread where you just like randomly were just, you know, somebody came to your mind and you're just like, hey, I just want to remind you who you are today. Like you're redeemed and chosen and forgiven and holy and blameless in Christ. Like wouldn't that be cool if you just got these like bursts of encouragement to remind each other? Um, feel free to do that to me because I, I forget these things too. Have people around you who are going to speak these things into you to remind you of who you are. Resist temptation by reminding yourself of what's true about you. Um, I don't know, has anybody ever read um, Atomic Habits by James Clear? So, okay, yeah, a couple, couple of folks. Um, there's a difference between if, if you were going to offer me, if I said, you know what, I'm not going to eat chocolate, because I, I, why would I do that? I, but I'm not going to eat chocolate. And then you were going to like say, hey, Eric, I got some chocolate for you. If I say, you know, no, I can't eat chocolate. Do you know what's going to happen like 10 minutes later? You're like, yes, I can. Right? If I say I can't, my response very quickly is going to be, okay, I can now. But if I say I don't, I don't eat chocolate, it's different. Because that's like... It's my identity, right? Like, I'm not the kind of person who does that. So if you have a habit in your life you're trying to break, some, some pattern of, of maybe sin or just some, some thing that is, like, dragging you away from God's best for you, um, you can say, like, no, 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 I can't. I can't do that. But the truth is you, you can. Like, you will very quickly because I can't is some restriction out there that's artificial and you're kind of putting on yourself or somebody else is putting on you, you say, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. Well, actually, yes, I can. But if you say, I don't, you're actually like twice as likely to not give in to that temptation. You know what? I don't. Because my identity is different. I am in Christ. And so you can use this to resist temptation, to push back against the schemes of the evil. No, I don't do that. Like, you may have had an addiction to to this substance or to this content on the internet or whatever it is, and you begin telling yourself, I don't do that anymore. I don't do that because I am in Christ Jesus. That identity resistance, it gives us power to overcome. And, and lastly, um, maybe, maybe you just need to write. Like, I know it sounds weird. I've never done this before, but I'm finding a ton of life in it, is just write the book of Ephesians. Now, this isn't going to be for everybody, but this is what, like, Ephesians 1, I have terrible handwriting, but Ephesians 1, um, verses 1 to 14 look like. And there's something powerful that happens when you, like, don't just read a text, but you write it. Right? It becomes a part of you. You feel it. And so maybe, like, for some of you, like, this might be a practice. Is You know what? As we go through this series over the next couple of weeks, throughout the fall, I'm just going to write the book of Ephesians. And, and I want to, like, pray it as I write it. I want to make it a part of myself, and I want to live in it. Uh, 
I'm going to end with this, slide 31. Let's jump to 31. This is words from James Bryan Smith. This is his, like, how he sums up who you are. If you're going to answer the question, I, who am I? This is who I am. I am a divinely designed, deeply loved, fully forgiven, fully alive, called by Christ, sacred story of grace, who will one day be glorified with Christ. That's who you are.